Well, good morning, everyone. Let me add my let me add my welcome to Chris's. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Please keep Ecclesiastes 12 open. Uh, that's where we're going to be studying. And why don't I pray for us as we come to God's word? Father, we acknowledge that we uh, come to your scriptures now from uh, a whole bunch of different places and mindsets. Some of us not sure whether this is something we want to build our lives upon. Some of us feeling wavering and weak in our faith. Some of us coming from a place of discouragement. Some of us coming from a place of joy. Father, your Holy Spirit knows each of our hearts. Would he uh, be our minister, our teacher, our guide to speak to our hearts wherever they come from this morning, that they might be enlarged, that they might swell with joy for you, and that we might remember our Creator in the days of our youth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've just joined us, you've come in right at the end of our Ecclesiastes series, and in many ways, uh, you're, pro- you're probably glad, because Ecclesiastes is kind of depressing for 11 chapters, uh, and then it gets to the final one, and it's like, oh, so that's what it's about, and it's a bit more encouraging, a bit more uplifting. Ecclesiastes, as I've used this illustration before, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a guy who is a crash test dummy for your life. He tries different things. He tries pleasure and sex. He tries money and power. He tries success and career. He tries all of these things and and kind of runs them on down the line and then concludes, actually, do you know what? I don't really get any meaning or any value, any satisfaction from them ultimately. And that's that's a teaching point for us. It's like, okay, he's tried that. Therefore, I can tick that one off. That's not what I uh, need to be doing. And so he comes to, you know, what is, the, what is the answer? What should we be doing? What should we value? I wonder if you've ever thought about your legacy, but what you want to be remembered by or for. What would that be? Of course, musicians and artists would like to be remembered for their work. They'd like to be remembered as, as one of the, some of the greatest musicians or some of the greatest actors of our time or of all time. And we maybe remember their names for a generation, maybe two. I don't normally watch this program, but I was watching Grand Designs. For those of you who don't know what Grand Designs is, it's uh, where people build outrageous houses uh, because they have... Just you know, huge pots of money, and sure, what else would you do with it? And uh, and I was watching Grand Designs uh, the other night. Uh, I probably should have been cleaning the kitchen or something, but I was watching Grand Designs, and the the project that was being built was right on a cliff edge that was being eroded. Uh, and they did studies of how long uh, it would take for where the cliff edge currently was uh, to get back such, to such an extent where the house would actually fall into the sea. And the study came back uh, from the, I don't know, the geologists or whoever it was, and they concluded that it would take 60 to 100 years to have the, for the house to fall into the sea. 
And Kevin McLeod, the presenter, was like, and you're still going ahead with the build? And they're like, oh, yes, you know, we're retired now, and, you know, we'll get our day out of it, and, you know, who cares after that? Wow. Doesn't that strike anybody as really short-sighted? That, you know, as long as I get my day, I don't really care what happens after that. As long as 60 years and it all crashes into the sea, they had a budget of about half a million pounds sterling. Going to chuck half a million into the sea? Wow. That's not considering your legacy. And perhaps you've never considered it as well. It's just not something that's entered your head. Or perhaps you actually feel the pressure of you know, continuing on the good family name. You, know, you do think about what you'll leave behind and you want to create something uh, that, that's good and that's memorable now. Maybe you do feel that, that weight, you know, my father was a doctor and his father was a doctor, so I need to be a doctor, that sort of, that sort of thing. Perhaps as you look at the legacy of your family, it's not actually been a good one. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you're, like me, the first believer in your family, the first of a generation. And perhaps the legacy that you would want to create is, is one of faith. Ecclesiastes encourages us, Ecclesiastes 12 encourages us that if we want to create a godly legacy, a legacy of grace, a legacy of faith, that we are to begin now. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. John Piper, who's a, uh, a pastor in the States in Minneapolis, uh, who's a prolific writer and, uh, and preacher, he travels all over the world, he wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And in the book and then in the sermon series as well, he talks about his, his father, his father, who was a, uh, an evangelist, a bit like Billy Graham, he would travel around and he'd do, uh, he'd do these big evangelistic talks and he would call people to faith. And it was done in a circuit, so he'd come back around to the same places every time. And in this one particular city, there was a man who always came along and who never repented, who never turned, who never gave his life over to Jesus. Until one night, John Piper's father was, was preaching. And after everybody had left, that man, now old, in his 80s or 90s, was sitting there after everyone had left with his head in his hands, weeping. And as John Piper's father went up to talk to and to counsel the guy, this old man could only say a few words. He could only say, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. Don't, don't we all want that not to be us? Ecclesiastes is answering the question, in a world that's full of meaninglessness, in a world that's full of waste, how do we build a life that reflects what really matters? And the answer really is verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. What does this remembering mean? What does it mean to remember? It's not mere recollection. It's not kind of, oh yeah, God. It's not like that. Remembering is a very weighty word in the Bible. 
Uh, another instance of where you get remembering is after the, after the flood. So the floods come down and Noah's in his boat. And the whole narrative turns on where, uh, where Moses writes, and God remembered Noah. It wasn't that God had forgotten Noah and he goes, oh, your man in the boat, what did you call him? That was, that's not what he means. It's not mere recollection. It's a, it's a, I am mindful of you and I'm going to act accordingly. So he causes the floodwater to subside. He saves Noah and his family. It's not, it's not mere intellectual assent. It's not mere recollection. Rather, it is the deliberate orientation of your life around the God who made you. Put in simple terms, simpler terms, it's dropping the pretext of self-sufficiency. It's acknowledging that we are creatures that he is our creator. It is recognizing our dependence on the God who made us. Nowhere else in the rest of this book has been described as creator. It's supposed to evoke this idea that, that we are dependent on something, someone. You see, in the world around us, dependence is seen as a bad thing. Nobody wants to be dependent. That comes, that comes quite, uh, it comes to the fore, it comes into the light when you're dealing with start of life, end of life issues. So if it has been deemed that the, that the baby in, uh, in a lady's womb will have some debilitating lifelong illness, then that baby should be terminated because it's wrong that it should be dependent. What kind of life would it have? In fact, there was an article just this week of a, uh, of a celebrity uh, here in the UK, or in, in the UK, not here in the UK, I apologize. <laughs> Shall I go now? <laughs> in the UK, who would also be known here in the Republic of Ireland? Oh, dear. Whose, uh, whose son had Down syndrome. And she was campaigning that Down syndrome babies would not be screened out. That they have lots to give. That they have lots of love. That their dependence is not a bad thing. Their dependence, actually, is a really stark and obvious reminder of all of our dependence on our Creator. It's the same with end-of-life issues. You've heard people say it, particularly as they, um, perhaps as they get diagnosed with a terminal illness or something tragic happens to them, they say, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be dependent on you. I don't want to be dependent on others. There's an actual fact. That person and all of us, we're always dependent we just fail to acknowledge it. And moreover, that person who, who becomes, in the world's eyes, burdensome, for those of us who are Christians, it's a chance for us to serve and to love them. Dependence is not a bad thing. We strive for independence. You know, you can't, get, you can't wait to move out of home. 
You can't wait to earn the first paycheck. You can't wait to own your own place. None of these things are bad in themselves. But when they're used to fool you into thinking that you are independent, that you are self-sufficient, well, that's when you forget your Creator. You forget that you're a made thing. A loved, but a made thing nonetheless. As Paul would write in Acts 17, in Him we live and move and have our being. In Him we live and move and have our being. Dependence is a, an illusion. Bono loves Ecclesiastes. Did you know that? He writes, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It's a book about a character who wants to find out why he's alive, why he's being created. He tries knowledge. He tries wealth. He tries experience. He tries everything. And you hurry to the end of the book, and you find, what does he say? He says, remember your creator. And in a way, it's such a letdown. And yet it isn't. It's profound from one of Ireland's top theologians. We are to remember the Creator in the days of our youth before passion and energy fade. Basically, what the writer is saying is form your life around faith in God now before you get old. That's basically what he's saying. Before, while you can do something about it. Because remember I was saying that remembering is not just mere recollection. You can think about it this way. Remembering means passionate loyalty. It's passionate loyalty. Loyalty always leads us into action. If you're loyal to a cause, you'll follow that cause. You'll give to that cause. You'll be all about that cause. If you're loyal to a person, you will express that loyalty in a, in a bunch of ways. You will follow them wherever they go. You will be by their side. Remembering our Creator is a passionate loyalty to God, an unwavering commitment to Him. And we're encouraged to start now. Why? Because life is shorter than you think. Samuel Beckett, a great Irish playwright, uh, wrote a play which he simply entitled Breath. It's designed to last 27 seconds long. It has no actors, it has no words. What you see on the stage is rubbish all over the stage. And the play starts with everything in darkness, and you hear a cry, an infant cry, followed by a breath. And then finally, another cry, and the play ends. That is the fleetingness of our life. It is a cry, a sigh, and a cry. 
verses 2 to 7 illustrate that. It is the poetry of decline. It's the poetry of, of death. You might have been uh, <clears throat> looking here at doors and at, uh, and at keepers and at strong men and at grinders. What does it all mean? We could work through it together. I'll give you a clue. It's all bits of your body. What are your grinders? Have you all got your grinders? You don't have to answer that question. <laughs> Look down. The keepers, your arms, they begin to tremble. The strong men are bent. The grinders, the teeth, are lost. The windows, what are the windows to your soul? Your eyes, your sight begins to go, begins to to fade. The doors to the street are shut. They're your ears. And so it goes on. The daughters of song can't sing anymore. You rise with the bird. I am told that when you get older, you tend to wake more. The almond tree blossoms. What does an almond tree look like when it blossoms? I'm sure you all know that. You're all, you know, very familiar with your almond trees. What does it look like? It's white. It's white. Starting to get the salt and pepper hair. And the grasshopper has no energy left. The grasshopper drags itself along. This thing that is, uh, that is emblematic and, sim- uh, and symbolic of high energy, bouncing all over the place, it's now dragging itself along. And terror is high. As we get older, we tend to become more fearful, more aware of risks, more aware of the things that will go wrong. So we're, to encur- we're encouraged to remember our Creator now. While we can still live out of that, while we can still do something about it. And before, finally, death comes, verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped. Isn't that a beautiful, a beautiful little poetic image of the precarious beauty of our life, that it hangs by a silver thread and that one day it will snap before the silver cord is snapped then we get all of these water images the golden bowl the pitcher shattered the wheel broken this is all the poetry of death water in the bible symbolizes life it is life-giving think of where the where's the bible written is it hot or is it cold it's hot water Water means life. Before the golden bowl is shattered, before the pitcher is broken, before the wheel is broken at the cistern, before your life runs out, remember your Creator. It's counterintuitive for us to think of death all the time. And Ecclesiastes is basically encouraging you to do that. Think of your death. Think of your own mortality. Because when you do that, when you think of how mortal you are, how fragile, remember your silver cord, how fragile your life is, when you think of that, it actually puts everything into perspective. 
it sharpens what matters and what doesn't. Like the person who is, who is given a terminal diagnosis, do they, do they worry about all of these things that don't matter? No, they don't. What do they do? They prioritize all of the things that they want to do, that they want to get done. It sharpens their focus. The writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, do that for your life now. Because death will come. There is, not to put too fine a point on it, a terminal diagnosis over each of our lives. He's saying, allow that to sharpen your focus. We spend so much of our life wasting time, wasting our energy over stuff that doesn't ultimately matter. We, people at students, students, we do this all the time. And I'm not saying, remember last week I said, work hard. You're supposed to work hard. But I remember becoming so consumed by, by what the grade was on a particular essay or on a particular assignment. It became part of who I was. And, and if it was bad, I would take that really, really personally. And I remember somebody coming and saying to me, nobody will ever ask you what you got in your ethics essay. And do you know what? I have never been asked what I got in my ethics essay. We're going to have a Q&A after the sermon. Do not ask me what I got in my ethics essay. It doesn't matter. It wasn't very good. Knowing that life is short, knowing that life is precarious. Think of Northwest 200 on this weekend. Young guy, 20 years old, gone. That doesn't tell you about the fleetingness of life, the precarious nature of our beautiful existence. And beautiful it is. It is a silver cord. It's not twine, but it is precarious. Allow the reality of your own mortality to shape, it, to shape and to focus what you're going to build your life around. Why else should we remember our Creator? Because it's the only place, He is the only place where we will find meaning in a world of vanities. That's what we saw. That's where the book started, and that's where the book ends. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, verse 8, all is vanity. We're going to return to the dust, and our spirit returns to the God who gave it. Work is ultimately meaningless. Money, meaningless. Power, meaningless. It's not to say that none of those things are good, that they aren't gifts to be used and to be enjoyed, but if you try to find your identity and your value in them, they become meaningless. They slip through your fingers. Where do we find our meaning? Where do we find our value? In the God who made us. Remember your Creator. Remember also your Creator because He is the one who floods your life with meaning. He is the one who lifts your life out of this insane merry-go-round of meaninglessness and self-justification. As C.S. Lewis says, if you aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in. If you aim for earth, you get neither. Everything else is just building houses on the sand or on the cliff edge, shall I say. We should remember our Creator because our Creator is also our Savior. 
He is our Redeemer. Listen to Paul write in Colossians chapter 1, where he's writing about the Lord Jesus, and he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in, all, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be supreme. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. Our Creator is our Savior. When we are encouraged here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 to remember our Creator, who are we remembering? Remembering the Lord Jesus. We're remembering the one who remembers you, who regards our brokenness, who sees us in our need, and who remembers, and who acts, and who comes to save. The end of the matter, verse 13, is that we are to fear God and to keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. What does remembering our Creator look like? It means following and obeying the God who made us. We have a problem with that. We spend our whole time trying to forget him. We spend our whole life taking what God has made and interpreting it in different ways. We spend our whole life running away from God and not to Him. We spend our whole life giving Him the finger and then plugging our ears so that we cannot listen to what He says. We are not unwaveringly loyal. Loyalty is when you're committed to something or to someone, and that's not us, not by nature. We're loyal to only one thing, ourselves. Often our highest allegiance is to exactly what we want to do, not to the God who made us. And so what's the answer? Where does this leave us? Well, it leaves us back with the one who remembered us, the one who is the embodiment of wisdom, the one who is the shepherd of verse 11, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, the one who perfectly feared God and kept all of his commandments on our behalf. That's the key. The life that Ecclesiastes encourages towards, we can't live it. We spend our time running after the meaningless things. But Jesus lived this obedient, perfect life. And through his death, that good life becomes ours. Such that when God looks at us, he sees the perfect, what the Bible would call righteousness of Christ. He is the one who smashed death, that great vanity of vanities. And he is the one whose words are wise 
and whose legacy is life. To remember him is to remember your creator. To follow him is to follow the one who floods your life with meaning and with purpose, who sharpens your focus. To obey him is a joy because his burden is easy and his yoke is light. So this morning, I would encourage you to heed the goads. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed. What are goads when you need them? You're riding a horse. What do you do? To get, what, do you, what do they do? They get the stubborn mule to move. Who's the stubborn mule? That'd be, that'd be me. It's you too, by the way. These wise words are like goads that get us to move, to change how we live. Goads that move us in the direction of the Lord Jesus, the one who, who loved us and who lifts our life from the pit and who sets our feet upon the rock. So what will you do? Will you stay on the merry-go-round of futility and vanity? This merry-go-round of frustration, trying to justify your existence and never actually getting anywhere? Will you drive around the cul-de-sac of life under the sun? Life ignoring the God who made you? Will you break with the traditions that have gone before you, those legacies of faithlessness, and will you be the first of your family to follow God with a whole heart, to remember your Creator and pray that your children and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren carry on that legacy of sovereign grace? Will you be remembered as someone who found joy in all of life because you recognize it all to be a gift, not to be an ultimate end in itself? Will you loosen your grip on money, on success, on career, on sex, on power? And in your other hand, will you firmly place it in your Creator's? Will you remember the one who remembers you, who remembers that you are dust and that who looks at that same frailty and redeems it, that death might have not have the final word over our lives, that we might enjoy our eternal home with the God who made us? Ecclesiastes really isn't a depressing book. It's a book that encourages us not to know a lot of things, but to know it a few things, one or two things, and to esteem them very, very highly indeed, to remember our Creator in the days of our youth. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do again confess uh, these ways in which we don't remember you, where we, uh, where we run from you. We pray that this morning that your word will have helped us to sharpen our focus, to sharpen our priorities, what really matters, that we would seek after you, that we would remember our creator, 
the one who made us, the one who redeemed us, the one who gives us life, the one who gives us new life in Christ. And would these words spur us into action? Would we live life, our whole life, before him, before it is too late? We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.